Well, good morning, everyone. Ah, that was some amazing worship. I mean, that, that, yeah, that was, that was God. Thank you so much. That was just amazing. So, um, I am not going to be in Genesis today. Oh, darn. Because if you've been reading ahead, we'll leave that one for Pastor Travis. No, it is, it is my pleasure to, to get up here and to wrestle with some scripture with you. And, uh, you know, First John has been going through my head a lot. Because in First John, the Apostle John, you see, he was drastically changed by our Lord. I can hear the Bibles turning and opening up to 1 John, and for that I am ever thankful. And I want you to hold your spot in 1 John. It's like you guys know me or something. I actually want us to turn to Matthew chapter 22. We're going to be spending a few minutes in the Gospels laying down this foundation. You see, in Matthew chapter 22, specifically verses 34 to 40, Jesus, Jesus is nearing the end of his earthly ministry here. And the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they're, they're, they're trying to trick him. <clears throat> they're trying to, 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 to make him stumble, try to prove a point. And I want you to be thinking, if you were one of his disciples, if you were, per se, the Apostle John, and you're watching this unfold, you're watching the religious leaders, the lawyers, the Pharisees, the people of you know, who we, they thought they were supposed to respect, be tr trying to trip up Jesus. I want you to just be thinking. I want you to be processing. I want you to almost read this from the first time. Because it says this in 22. But the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees. <laughs> Here we go, our turn to shine. So they gathered together in verse 34. And in 35, it says one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And yet, the second one, if you're a note taker, highlighter, hear what it says, is just like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 40, on these two commandments depend all the law, all the prophets. 
And so John, well, in Mark chapter 3, you don't have to turn there, but in Mark chapter 3, Jesus is calling his 12 disciples, and he gets to James and John, the brothers, and he kind of um, <clears throat> calls them sons of thunder. You see, they, they were hot-headed, had an attitude. In fact, uh, John the Apostle was probably the youngest disciple. Um, Historians believe, you know, late teens, 17 to 19, something around uh, that line. And so as many young men, we could somewhat be impulsive, somewhat be hot-headed, somewhat say things and then look back and go, (laughs) mistake. Well, we see that clearly, and I do want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 9. You see, in Luke chapter 9, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He is is turning his attention to what is about to take place. And where they're at, they're actually going to be traveling through to a Samar- through a Samaritan village. Now, as you guys are turning to Luke chapter 9, I'm going to just briefly describe the love-hate relationship that the Samaritans and the Israelites had. There was a lot of hate and no love. I mean, the mentality that we get was if someone was on fire we'd help put on the sticks. We'd help build it up. The animosity between the two was just crazy. And so, John, hot-headed, son of thunder, John, has been with Jesus, has been listening to him, hearing him talk about the kingdom of God talking about how it completely changes us from the inside out. And it says this in verse 51 of Luke chapter 9. The days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, and so he set his face to go to Jerusalem. He sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans, to make preparations for him. Verse 53, but the people did not receive him. Why? Because his face was towards Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, let us at him. Do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. And so they went to another village. Think about it. Sons of thunder. Brash. They don't love you. Let's wipe them out. And yet, as we briefly will get into 1 John today, you're going to hear something. You're going to see that he is no longer called, John the Apostle is no longer called Son of Thunder. He's called the Apostle of Love. 
Something changes in John so drastically that throughout the rest of his career, John is noted with his gentleness, with his graciousness, with his goodness, with his love. And I want you to be thinking about this. As John, the one, well, he wanted to wipe out a complete Samaritan village. In just a chapter over in chapter 10, we know one of the most famous parables of all time. In fact, the title is The Good Samaritan. And so turn with me to chapter 10. And the reason I'm laying out this foundation is because I want you to understand that as we get into 1 John, there's a change that's happening. There's a realness. God is speaking to us, for us, and we get to change from the inside out. And it's not something that we do, because if it was left up to us, I'm sure John would still be a young, hot-headed, angry person that wants to consume people. But the gospel changes him. The gospel opens up his eyes to the realization that he needs a savior. And so, in Luke chapter 10, it says this, and you guys are going to see very similar to what we read in Matthew. And I wanted you guys, I wanted to use this both because I want you to see that this wasn't just a one-time thing. It wasn't just in Matthew and nowhere else was the gospel spoken that you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor. Okay? It wasn't just this one time, let's take this out of the blue. No, this was something that was said over and over and over again. Why? Because we're thick-headed and we need reminders. And if you're anything like me, you need to keep being reminded. And yet Luke pins down this in chapter 10, verse 25. Behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. Very similar. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And so Jesus goes, okay, I'll, I'll ask a question with a question. What's written in the law? How do you read it? And the lawyer answered, well, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. And then it kind of as an afterthought, it goes, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you answered correctly. Do this and you'll live. And yet the lawyer, wanting to justify himself, said, so who's my neighbor? Friends, if you try to get into a battle of wits with God, the laughter says it all. You'll lose. But go ahead, you can sure try. We read in Genesis how Israel wrestled with God. This lawyer, so who's my neighbor? 
Often, you and I will try to justify our actions. Often, you and I will stop and take a second and go, hmm, I know Jesus says to love, but however, maybe, you know, maybe just this portion right here, you know? No. The lawyer goes, who's my neighbor? And Jesus, Jesus expands on the word all. Because it's really easy for you and I to love our neighbor that loves us back. It's really easy for you and I to love someone that takes care of us, that's nice to us, that maybe has the same, you know, political stance as we do, maybe goes to the same church that we go to. No, remember that we just read in chapter 9 how John wanted the whole village to be consumed. And he was one of Jesus' disciples, one of his closest disciples. He says this. Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, stripped him, beat him, and they departed leaving him half dead. Verse 31. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he too passed on the other side. But a Samaritan as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him in his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. Verse 35. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him. Whatever more you spend, I will repay when I come back. Which of these three do you think provided to the neighbor? The lawyer said in verse 37, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus said to him, then you go and do likewise. My friends, You go and do likewise. Mic drop. But God, really? My neighbor? Why? How? You see, we can get caught up with the whys and the hows. We can get up, caught up with the legalistic, moralistic sideline of it all. And that's why I wanted to take some time and look at 1 John today. In fact, we're only going to be looking at the first four verses of 1 John. We'll be going throughout the entire book. Um, I, I, I asked Travis, said, hey, anytime I teach on a Sunday, can I, can I teach from 1 John? He goes, absolutely. It might take me 20 years, but I promise you, we will get through 1 John. 1 John, you guys can turn there now. And as you're turning there, 
I want you to be thinking about these things. I want you to think that the son of thunder, the young, hot-headed apostle who called, wanted to call down and consume a complete village, he was there and he heard that parable. You know what was going through his head. Oh, yeah. Who showed mercy? Who loved? And my friends, we get to spend the next couple minutes diving in, opening up scripture, looking at what God has called us to do. What I'd like to do is first read the first four verses, just straight up, try not to comment. I know it's hard for me. But then we're going to go back and we're going to just start unpacking. We're going to start looking at this and really seeing what God is asking you and I to do. First John, chapter 1. Not John 1. If you're in John 1, you're going to read the first couple, couple sentences, and it sounds very similar, but this is 1 John. Towards the end of the Bible, it says this, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father, and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Oh, I love this passage. You see, here it is. The apostle John, when he wrote this letter, it was probably around the, the, the first century mark. Some, some theologians believe that it was about 100 A.D., and so he was the last apostle to be alive. His brother was the first one to be martyred. He was the last, well, they tried to martyr him. They tried to dip him in boiling oil and it didn't work. And so he saw his closest friends. He saw the church persecuted time and time again. But he saw this reality of Jesus being alive. And he goes, that is the important thing. That's the thing that you and I need to hold on to. You see, what was happening is they were actually kind of taking that Jesus was fully God, fully man, and they were twisting it. It was called Gnosticism. Gnosticism was spirit good, flesh bad. So if your flesh you know, don't listen to your flesh, let your flesh do whatever it wants, but really just work on the spirit. That's what they were trying to preach. And John goes, uh, no, 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 wait, stop the bus. 
back up. Let me remind you. Let me remind you of what really, really happened. And so, this is where we get 1 John. You see, the process is still going on today. The process of people taking Scripture, twisting it, and saying, oh, you know, a new enlightenment has happened. You have to earn your way to heaven. You have to do these moralistic things, this, these legalistic things. You have to, you have to. And if John was here, he'd go, no, no, wait, stop. From the beginning. From the beginning. Now, guys, there's three beginnings that you and I know of. Well, I mean, there's many beginnings, but I'm going to look at three of them. In Genesis 1.1, the Bible opens with this phrase, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That is the beginning of material creation. That verse encompasses the dawn of creation. Now, in John 1, remember how I was uh, you know, saying just slightly, John 1 says this, the very first verse. There's another beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You see, that beginning goes back even before creation. Ray Steadman says this, it is the unbeginning beginning. What? What? It is the unbeginning beginning, the beginning that is eternal. You see, Genesis was beginning of creation. John 1, he's saying, no, there was someone even before that. That simply means the starting point. We humans, you see the way we think, beginning and end. That, that, that's, that's just, we, we live in a linear time fashion. If we were to believe that time was the fourth dimension, hey, that's us, beginning and end, A to Z, right? It makes sense. John is saying, no, no, hold on. There's someone even before that. There's someone even before that. And now, in this letter, there's a third beginning. That which was from the beginning. Did you guys catch that? Okay, wait, wait, hold on here. Okay, Genesis 1, creation, material beginning. Okay, I got that. John 1, it talks about how there was someone even before that, eternal, forever. And we try to wrap our heads around that and go, yeah. And we can sit there and we can argue, but, but God was there before the foundations of this earth. It didn't happen by accident. It didn't happen by goo. It didn't happen. It happened because of thought. Because God, Yahweh, I am, said, let us make man in our image. My friends, if you and I can just wrap our head around that statement, knowing that we are not an accident, 
How freeing is that? How encouraging is that? And yet we forget it sometimes. We get in through life and life of ups and downs and we think, God, are you even there? Do you even care? Where are you? My friends, John the Apostle goes, which was from the beginning? You see, John does not mean either the time of creation or like Ray Stedman said, the unbeginning beginning. But you see, in throughout the whole book of First John, he refers us back to a beginning. And the best way to try to explain this is this. It is the beginning that has been available for all time. But you and I have a start to it. You and I have, are interjected into that timeline and you and I have a beginning. And that beginning is with Jesus Christ. That beginning is where you and I first realize, oh, I need a savior. I need a relationship. I'm too young, hot-headed, and I'm wanting to consume entire villages. Why? Because they made me upset. And God goes, dude, you're missing the point. You are missing the point. And so when John says, hey, that was which from the beginning, which we have heard. He's talking about the apostles. And now I'm, I'm going to take a second here, and I'm going to lay some more foundation here. The apostles walked, talked, ate, I laughed with him cried with him. Some of them got rebuked. Some of them, all of them, deserted them the night he was betrayed. Some followed at a distance. John was writing to a church saying, don't listen to what they're saying. Jesus is real. Here is my eyewitness testimony. Friends, if you want a self-help, feel-good, work-your-way-to-heaven, the book that you hold on your lap right now is not for you. Because that's what religion is. A self-help, feel-good, work-your-way-to-heaven. But instead, John goes, you see the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the lawyers, they were looking for a religion. They were looking for something that they could do to earn. And throughout Scripture, it's not that. It's what Jesus has done for you. It's what Jesus has done, and you and I get to trade him life for life. And so let me reread it. That which was from the beginning... Verse 1, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon, have touched with our hands. This is concerning the word of life. This is concerning Jesus. He was fully God, fully man. And if anybody ever tries to tell you differently, they're lying. Do not listen to them. Do not go down that road. 
because it will deceive you. In fact, if you look at it, there's reasons that John wanted to write 1 John. There's, 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 we're going to look at just four brief versions of why he wanted to uh, write this. The first one was found in verse 4. It says this, I'm writing you so that your joy may be complete. And we're going to get to that. The second reason he's writing is in chapter 2, verse 1. He says this, my little children. And you see, remember, John was, John was really old. In fact, there's some historians say that John was so old that he couldn't walk, he couldn't do anything. And so what they do is they would just carry him into the place of worship, into the, the, the churches, and he, he would just say, love God, love one another. And that was, his, that was his sermon. Some of you are going, well, why don't you act like John? Come on. But the reality is this. John says, I'm writing this so that you'll have joy. In 2 verse 1, he's saying, I'm writing this. He called them little children, not as a, not as a derogatory type of thing, just because he was older. He was older and he said, my little children, Listen to me as a father. I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. In chapter 2, verse 26, he gives us the third reason. And he says, I'm writing this thing to you so that no one will deceive you, so that you and I have a trajectory. You and I have a compass. You and I can know the truth. And we know in the Gospels, it says, and the truth will set you free. My friends, I challenge you to look at your life today and examine your heart and see what has deceived you, what has led you astray, what idols have you allowed in your life. And John goes, I want the joy to be complete. I don't want you to sin. I don't want anyone to deceive you. And the fourth reason he says this in chapter 5, verse 13, he goes, I'm writing these things to you so that you believe in the name of the Son of God that you will have eternal life. He writes these things so that you and I will be assured of our salvation in him. So that the world and what it offers us doesn't cloud our thoughts, doesn't make us question, doesn't make us go, oh, I don't know if I'm saved or not. But he goes, listen to 1 John, look at 1 John, and I encourage you guys, Take these next couple weeks, especially as we're getting ready for Passion Week, and read and meditate on 1 John and think about it. John, hot-headed son of thunder, had a life-changing experience through Christ. And he goes, it wasn't anything I did. I was upset. I was upset. I was wanting to call down and consume a whole village of Samaritans by fire. 
And yet, I see Jesus' love throughout. Not just for me, his friend, because John was one of Jesus' best friends. He was in the, in, in, in the three, James, John, and, and Peter, in his inner circle. He goes, I saw him love everyone. In fact, that's what he's asked you and I to do. Because I remember, go back, go back to the first four verses. He goes, I remember, I saw him, I watched him. I watched him wash my feet the night he was betrayed. I watched him wash Judas's feet the night he was betrayed. My friends, if it's left up to us, we will fail time and time again on loving our neighbor. And that's because we've kind of gone through a screw of loving God first. My friends, we read 1 John, and it says this. There's a testimony that John is writing saying, hey, listen, I'm an eyewitness. One of the best things that you and I can have in the court of law is an eyewitness. And so John is saying, look at this eyewitness that I have about who Jesus is, about what Jesus has said. And I want you to grasp that. I want you to hold on to that. You see, Jesus became man, fully God, fully man. It wasn't a 50-50. It wasn't while he was hanging on the cross, he, you know, kind of just, oh, well, I'm, I'm only going to suffer a little bit of the pain. No, we can look at scripture if we had time about where, where God the Father dumped the sins of the whole world and he paid the price. And my friends, this is important because we're going to be looking at, so my joy will be complete Because if our joy is complete, we have to understand the words that Jesus said on the cross. It is finished. Not, hey, Garrett, um, I did most of the work, and now I need you to do at least 50-50 here. Hey, Garrett, um, I I got you mostly to heaven, and uh, make sure that you love everyone. Otherwise, no, he said, it is finished. And for that, I am so thankful because guess what? The sins that I have committed, my life has been washed clean through the blood of Christ. And that brings us to this amazing verse three. So he's saying this, all right? It was from the beginning Verse one, were eyewitnesses, were eyewitnesses. This life was made real and we proclaim, we testify this real eternal life. Verse three, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. I don't know about you, but I often sometimes hear It's just me and God. 
That's it. Just me and God and no one else. Well, I mean, that, that's a good vertical stance. But if it's just you and God and no one else, are you really following God? Are you really listening to his heart? Are you hearing the great commandment, the great commission? Love God with all you got. And if you have anything else, love your neighbors. It's not just a you and God thing. It's a you, God, and then guess what? A communal thing. That's why fellowship is so important. You see, fellowship is likeness. Having the same thing, having the same hobbies, having the same fill in the blank. We get to fellowship together because of our love for Jesus. And he is the common ground that you and I have. And we should be nurturing that. We should be encouraging that. We should be challenging one another to live that way. John 3 says this, we do that so that you'll have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. So John is saying we get to have fellowship not just with other believers, but more importantly, with God the Father. And so anytime you hear or anytime you think that your sin keeps you from God, go back to 1 John. Remind yourself that there is an eyewitness that says, no, 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 you have a relationship with God the Father. And it was through Jesus Christ, the Son. I can't tell you how exciting that news is, realizing that it's not my works. It's not how many people I help across the street, how many doors I knock on, how many, how many and we can fill in the blank. But it's all throughout Christ and Christ alone. And he goes, this overflow of joy, this overflow of love is yes, you and me, but it's supposed to go to others. And that, my friends, is a challenge today. That, my friends, is something that we all struggle with, loving our neighbor as God first loved us. Am I going too fast? Are you guys with me so far? That truth, that understanding of fellowship, I want you to hold on to. I want you to look at, and I want you to actually wrestle with in your heart. Because very often, we sometimes think that, well, you know, we might share life together, but it's still just me and God. And we're missing that. If you're thinking about how do I love, if you're thinking about how, how do I encourage my neighbor, 
How do I show mercy? How do I show grace to someone that's really irritating me? I'm going to challenge you to go back to that vertical relationship and check with your fellowship with God. You see, that's, that's the foundation right there. How's your walk with God? Where you're at with God? We sometimes get so wrapped up with wanting to help others or, or you know, oh, oh, it says right here that I got to love others, so I'm going to go love God or I'm going to love others, you know, and, and, and we work ourselves up and then we burn ourselves out and we, we fail because my anger rises or, and John goes, no, 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 don't forget about the fellowship that you have with the Father. And my friends, that is huge. Because we cannot love God without fellowship with God. And you can try your hardest. You can do everything you can to try to love God with all you have. And you know what? From experience, you're going to get burnt out. Why? Because I'm putting more weight on my love to God than God's love to me. And that's a humbling, humbling mindset. To know that I'm so broken that the best I can do It's brokenness. And God says, I know. Let me trade you life for life. Let me live the life that you couldn't live. Let me die the death that you should have died. Let me work on this relationship with you. And we sit there and go, God, how freeing that is. You see, we are reminded of John 10, where it says that he is the good shepherd and nothing in his hands can someone take out. It's not our strength holding on to God. It's God's strength holding on to us. But we have to come before him and say, here I am, Lord. I'm broken. We got to get out of the mindset of thinking it's just me and God. But it's me and God and the overflow that he gives us to love one another. Did you guys catch that? Did I go too fast? Me and God and the overflow to love one another. And if that's where you're at right now, going, I, I, I don't know if I can love one another. I don't know if I can have that calling to love my neighbor. Well, my friends, I, I want you to go back to First John and answer me this. He says, we write these things so that our joy may be complete. There's a realness, there's a joy, there's, a, there, there's this depth. And I'm not saying, oh, yay, my life is a mess. I just better smile, fake it till I make it. That's not the joy that he's talking about. 
That's not the, the, the faking till it making, no. It's the understanding that there's a realness. That even though you and I are going to go through trials, John 16 says, take heart. I have overcome. My friends, this is given to us by eyewitness. Trust it. Trust it. So that our joy may be full. Understand that this is God's word. It's not my words. I'm reading it saying there's a joy that you and I get to have. And that joy is from the Father. That joy is the same joy that allowed Jesus to say, God, I am tired. I am scared. If there's any other way, I'll take it. But not my will, but let your will be done. That was the prayer he prayed the night he was uh, betrayed in Gethsemane. Was God, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, Hebrews 12 says. If you and I have been wrestling with this joy, wrestling with this loving God and loving our neighbors, I encourage you to take a second and examine your heart and go, where is the joy in my life? My friends, you start finding the joy in your life by knowing two things. The first one is knowing God. Spending time with him. Getting into his word. Getting in fellowship with him and with other believers. Yes, I am a firm believer about going to a mountaintop and praying and being alone. Absolutely, I love that. I'm an introvert and it makes me happy. But God doesn't leave me on the mountaintop. And he shouldn't be leaving you on the mountaintop. He's called you and I to come back and fellowship with God and fellowship with one another. And so ask yourself, do you know God? Thought, that's a tough question. I, I get a look at you guys and say, hey, for about 43 years, I have been a member of TCF. Yeah, that's a long time. How old are you, Garrett? I'm 42. I'll let you guys do the math there. But you know what? I've gone through Bible college. I know God. But I'm getting to know God. And aligning those things. And that's why our mission statement is helping people think like Jesus because that thought process overflows to the way you and I live. And how do you and I live? With fellowship with God. That was a great example of Jesus and fellowship with one another. Man, I'm still learning how to do that. But where do we go from here? How do I have this joy that is made complete? 
Well, first off, you get to know who God is. And my friends, I said it earlier, spend time in fellowship with him and with one another. Encourage one another. Pray with one another. Worship with one another. It's amazing. And the second thing, it's actually not found right here, but there's a dotted line from verse 4 all the way to the end of chapter 5. And it says this. You see, in chapter 5, verses 13 and 19, (laughs) it says, I write these things to you so that you believe in the name of the Son of God, you will have eternal life. My friends, there is an assurance through the fellowship of God the Father and the fellowship with one another that you and I sometimes forget about. Often we get asked, hey, are you 100% sure that you're going to heaven? How do you answer that? Do you answer, well, yeah, 100% sure I'm going to heaven. Or do you ask, do you answer yourself, well, I, I don't know, I, I try, I, I, I try to love God, I try to, try to help others, I, you know, I, I'm following the golden rule. Guys, like I said earlier, if you really want a religion, a self-help, feel good, work your way to heaven, this Bible is not for you because all it does is it boosts your pride. But the assurance is this, that Jesus Christ, Son of God, fully man, fully God, came and died in your place and paid for your sin and said, today you will be with me in paradise. Nothing that you and I say or do, that's humbling but yet that's really freeing to know, wow, it's all about him. That's what 1 John 1, 1 through 4 is about. Let me tell you this testimony. Let me share with you what I know to be true because I witnessed it with my own eyes. Jesus loves you. Thank you, Lord. So you and I have an assurance of our salvation. Why? Because he did all the work. You and I get to ask, do we believe it? You and I get to ask, hmm, what's the gospel to me? And my friends, the gospel, this relationship fellowship, joy. I write this so that our joy may be complete. Not John's joy, but our joy as Christians. It may be complete. It is based on what God has done for us, not what you and I do for him. John chapter 20, verses 24 to 31. We don't have time to turn there, but it's... It's doubting Thomas's story. You see, doubting Thomas 
said these words, I won't believe it. I know death, he died. John is writing these things going, oh, you better believe it. And if it was left up to you and I, we'd all be doubting Thomas's. The world actually asks us to be doubting Thomas's. You see, Thomas needed to believe and know that Jesus is the risen Lord. So do you. He died for us, and he didn't just stay dead, but he came back from the dead and now sits at God's right hand. That's a relationship that you and I can have. He is Lord of Lords, King of Kings, God Almighty. And he goes, I want a relationship with you. That's humbling. And finally, we get to ask our skeptic self. We get to ask all the things that this world asks us about. Are you sure you're saved? Are you doing what it takes to earn your way to heaven? My friends, don't disbelieve, but believe. We have eyewitness account of saying who Jesus is. We have eyewitness account of him coming back from the dead. We have an eyewitness account saying he didn't just do it to make himself look good, but he did it so that you can be called friend. That is assurance. Jim Elliott, if you guys know who Jim Elliott is, he was a missionary pilot who was killed on a missionary trip. But in his journal, he pins this. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. You see, Jim Elliott knew that because of his fellowship with the Father and fellowship with others, and even, yes, unto death, trying to share the gospel, he may lose his life, but he can't lose his salvation. 1 John 1, 1 through 4 is an encouragement to each and every one of us that we get to have a relationship with God the Father. We get to have fellowship with one another and we get to have joy. It's complete. It is assured that we get to spend eternity with him if we believe. If we say, God, it's all you and not me. I'm broken. I'm still back there yelling at the Samaritan village, hey, let's consume them. But thankfully, by God's grace, he met me there, but didn't leave me there. Amen? Amen. Father God, you are amazing. And your word, your truth, your spirit is alive. And Father, as we look at 
as we looked at First John and we realized this friendship that you want with us, this friendship that is so real, forgive us for, for looking elsewhere. Forgive us for trying to define things and not remembering from the very beginning you had a plan. Thank you for this plan. Thank you for this love, for this grace, and for this mercy. And Father, as we struggle with life, the ups and the downs, the twists and the turns, let us go back to what was promised. Let us go back to the assurance that we have with you that whatever is in your hand, nothing can pull us out. Romans says no height or depth can separate us from this love. Let us leave today grasping and sharing that love and fellowship with you. In Jesus' name, amen.